Take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10. And I want to give you a sermon uh, this morning from the 10th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. To the Romans. It is communion after the service, and the service will be a little bit longer on on communion Sundays. Uh, The communion cups are back there at the back. At at the end of the service, I'm going to give you a chance to grab one of those if you like. Romans chapter number 10. In Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul has been establishing that God as the sovereign ruler, that he has the right to open the door of salvation to whomever he wishes. And what the Apostle does, and what I tried to do, was show that that was a consistent thing that God had been doing from the Old Testament all the way through. God opens the door of salvation to whomever he chooses. Now the Jews, and Paul mentions this because the Jewish people, for centuries, they had had exclusive access, exclusive access to God. The Apostle says in uh, 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians 3, but Romans 3, what, advent, what advantage then has the Jew? He says, much in every way, because to them was the law and the testaments and the oracles of God. They had unique access to God. Of all the people in the world, as you read the Old Testament, the only nation that we can tell, even in world history, that worshiped the single true and living God for centuries was Israel. And they only were able to do that because God chose Abraham to be the father of Israel. And then God chose Isaac to be the chosen seed. And then God chose Jacob to be the father of the nation of Israel. And so this is what God has been doing down through the centuries. And what the apostle is telling us now in this letter to the Romans is that now God has granted access to all people everywhere, both Jews and Gentiles, unparalleled access to God, but only through Jesus Christ. For centuries, the Christian church has been preaching this same single message that whosoever will may come, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your class, regardless of your mental abilities. It it doesn't matter. The door of heaven has been swung wide open. To the world. And so in chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is telling us that there is one single message of salvation for all people. There is one message to the world because there is only one Savior of the world. And Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, the, 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 Lord's, the prophet Isaiah says this in a prophecy when he talks about the children of the nations coming to him, looking to him. And then our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, it's, it's in the Gospel of John and all of John's writings that we, we find the use of the word world. And most of the commentators and Bible scholars tell us that the Apostle John, he uses the Greek word cosmos to tell the Jews it's not all about you. Have you ever had to tell somebody that? You know, it's not all about you. The whole You're not the center of the universe, even though we think we are most of the time. He uses the, the word for world to tell the Jews that this gospel, this saving message, is not only for the Jewish people. It's for Gentile people. It's not only for Americans. Now, when I say this, this is, this is something, you know, I grew up in the 80s. And in the 80s, America basically had one big giant enemy. Who was it? Russia. 
Sometimes, if I ever get a tattoo, it's going to say Wolverine on my shoulder right here. You guys remember the movie Wolverines? Red Dawn, that's, that's right, Red Dawn, not Wolverines. <laughs> when, I, when I first came to, uh, when I was pastoring in uh, Oklahoma, one, sun, one Sunday, a couple came in the church, man and wo- woman and this little boy they had. And they started talking to me, and I, and I knew the accent immediately. Russian. And I, just, I went, what are you doing in my church? <laughs> they're actually they're Russian Christians. And, they, and we got to know them, became good friends with them. And I laughed because I said, I said, I told my kids their whole life. I said, you know who our sworn enemy is? I'd say it over the supper table. Who's our sworn enemy? And they would say, Russians. <laughs> but even Russian people can become Christians. Even Southerners can become Christians. Even Michigan State fans can become Christians. <laughs> the door of salvation is wide open to the world. God has swung it wide open. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 10, it says this. It says, there is one Savior for the world. Especially to those who believe, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. So no matter where you go in the world, no matter what, what place you find yourself in, there's one gospel message to every person. It's always the same. If you run into a Jewish person, it's the gospel. Trust in Jesus Christ. Believe He's the Son of God, that He rose from the dead, and you can be saved. It doesn't change. It's one message in all times and all places. This is what the Apostle says in Romans chapter 10. Now let's take a reading here from verses 5 through 17. Verses 5 through 17. Romans 10, 5 through 17. For the apostle writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now let's make a prayer. Father, I pray that you would help me as I give this message. And Lord, you, you alone know the angst I've kind of felt over getting this thing ready. And I pray you'd help me to preach it, Lord, properly. And help me to get these things, get the point across without too much fooling around. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. 
So I want to talk to you about how people get saved from what the Apostle Paul says here. The first thing the Apostle says is people do not get saved by works. Chapter 10, verse number 4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. A person does not come to faith in Christ. A person does not have peace with God through their own efforts, although that makes a lot of sense to us because we are people who are a working people and we believe that anything worth having is worth working for. If you want to have a better life, work hard. Do the best you can and you can improve your situation. If we went through this congregation this morning, we would find many people, many people who by sheer effort of will and self-discipline have managed to rise through the social ranks. You went to work, you worked hard, you put yourself through college, or you got into a trade and you worked and and saved and and you made it. You've risen through the ranks. And as you look around sometimes at other people, you think, well, if you would just work a little harder, you too might rise a little. It makes sense to us by work. Even the, the Bible bears this out by saying that if you don't work, and that's Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. In all labor there is profit, Solomon says. There's nothing sweeter, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, than for a laboring man to eat and drink the fruits of his labors. But my friend, you're not going to get into heaven by works. You're not going to work yourself into God's good graces. You're not going to get yourself into the heavenly realm through effort. That cannot be done. It is an impossible task. In verse number 5, the apostle says, Moses writes about this righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, that is an interesting turn of phrase. The person who does these things shall live by them. This is a reference to Leviticus chapter 18, verse number 5, where Moses says, if you're going to keep the law, it's going to require ongoing, perfect keeping of the law. I'm going to say something to you. The first thing I'm going to say, you're not going to like. The second thing I'm going to say, you'll like. The first thing I'm going to say to you is that Jesus said in Luke 18, verses 18 to 30, Jesus says that a person could inherit eternal life by keeping the commandments. Bum, bum, bum. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Good master, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, How readest the commandments? And he says, and the guy says his thing. And then Jesus says, and the guy says, I've kept all these from my youth up. And then Jesus goes through the second table of the commandments. He gives the second table. He says, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor your mom and dad, uh, covet. He goes to listen and commit adultery. He says, and the guy says, I've done those things. Then Jesus says, great. Then go home and sell everything you have and follow me. And the Bible says that the young man went away sorrowing for he was very rich. Because what happened in the second table of the law, those things were all easy to keep. I used to say the opposite. I used to say the first table was easier and the second table was harder. But that's not true. It's easy to not kill somebody. How many of you have resisted the urge? (laughs) Yeah, that's all of us. It's that first table that's hard. So what Jesus says, this guy says, 
I want to go to heaven. I want to have eternal life. Jesus says, keep the law. This guy says, I've kept the law. Jesus says, go home and sell everything you have and follow me. And the guy won't do it because his problem is a heart problem. He doesn't love God with all his heart, mind, and soul. He doesn't love God supremely. He doesn't love God firstly, above all things. He loves his stuff. He loves his possessions. He loves his wealth. And he goes away sorrowing because the guy realizes that that's what it takes to go to heaven. Then I'm not going to make it. And he goes away sorrowing. So you can go to heaven by keeping the law. Jesus says this. He doesn't tell the guy, you have to believe in me. Jesus says, keep the law. Now, what if you start keeping the law today? Let's say you're here today. I've said you keep the law, you go to heaven. That's what Jesus said. I think that's a true statement. What if you decide today, I'm going to keep the law all the time? And you start today, and you do it. Well, what about all the sins you've committed before today? What about all the deceiving you've been doing? What about all your lying? What about all the bad things you've done that have been sins against God, the times you've rebelled against Him? What about those past sins? Those still have to be accounted for. Those still have to be atoned for. And that can only be done through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ is the acceptable atonement for sin. He is the Lamb of God who died for sinners. And only sinners who put their faith in Christ get the benefit of Christ's atonement on the cross. This is what the apostle says. He says, it's not through works. Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. And then in verses 6, 7, 6 and 7, it's a quotation here of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Now, this, this, this is a little bit unusual. But the righteousness based on faith says, so this is what a salvation through faith says. It says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, Or who will descend into the abyss? These two statements are proverbial ways that the Jews would say something is impossible, something that it can't be done. Have you ever been looking looking through your papers for a file? You're looking through your files for a certain paper. Valerie has this. She has a very organized filing system in our basement, and all the important papers are down there. And every once in a while, Valerie will be unavailable. And it's up to me to go down there and go through the files to find some paper. And I have, I have looked. Now, how many of you men look for stuff? How many of you women know that we don't really do that good a job? <laughs> and sometimes I'll be looking through those files and I'll say to myself, this is like looking for a needle. Which means it's what? Impossible. These are proverbial ways that the Jews would say it's impossible. It's impossible. So the righteousness of faith says that there is no impossible task required. The righteousness that is based on faith says there is no Herculean effort required to be saved. There is no severe self-discipline required to be saved. If you go back to Deuteronomy 30 and read verses 11 through 14, you find Moses saying to Israel, it's kind of his final sermon to Israel before he dies, Moses says to them, it's 
the word of faith, that the word of God, it's, it's not difficult here. Moses says because it starts with the heart. He says if your heart is turned towards God, then keeping the law is easier because it comes from a heart. And this is exactly what the apostle is going to go on to say. He's going to take this Jewish knowledge of the law and this impossibility is not that you can't, there's no impossible or difficult task required. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. It comes from the heart. This word of faith, God was telling the Israelites, and even in the law, he's telling them something impossible for them to do, something very difficult for them to do, because he wants them to turn to him and say, Lord, have mercy on us. We can't do this. We can't do it. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain and he had the Ten Commandments, he reads the law to the people. And it's about Exodus 24 where the people say, all that you have said, we will do. And God says, you have cursed yourself because you can't do it. You cannot make it by law keeping. So the way of salvation is not through works. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. The message of faith. Now look at verses 9 through 13. If a person is not saved by works, then then how are they saved? It is through sincere faith. Sincere faith. Now, verses 9 and 10 tell us that the true faith is internal. It's with the heart. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Now, here in this text, it's outside to inside. Now, this is important to remember. Because there are a lot of people who attend Christian churches, in my opinion. Now, I'm speaking kind of as, as a, in a broad sense. It's probably true here, too. That there are people who are only Christians right here. I was talking to a black lady one time in Arkansas, and she said, there's a lot of people got heaven on their lips and hell in their heart. It's just right here. It's all, it's all talk. You ever meet somebody who's all talk? I used to know a guy, and uh, he said he could play basketball. I said, come on, let's go, let's go play some ball. And he's like, no, I can't today. I'd say, okay, well, next time. Okay. I was always trying to get him to play basketball. He's always telling me how great he was, how, how good his handles were. You guys know what handles are? His dribbling skills. He was a good shot. He could run. And I was always saying, well, come on and play. So finally, I'm trying to get him to come and play. Finally, I realized that the guy's just all talk. Or he's just old. I couldn't. <laughs> but he really was just all talk. Some people, their whole Christianity is just right here. It's all talk. The apostle says here, It's confession with the mouth and believing in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. The sincerity of faith. It's from a true, sincere faith that comes from the inner man, from the deepest recesses of our beings, a confidence, a faith, a hunger for salvation. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. 
Do you believe? Do you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead and that He is your Savior? Do you really truly believe that for yourself? Or, or are you just one of these lip Christians? And you only, you only say the right things on the right days and the right time. You know how to talk so people will think you're a Christian. But are you really truly a Christian? Have you really come to know Him as your Savior? And that's a question only you can answer for yourself because I can't do it. But God knows. God knows what true, sincere faith looks like. God knows the real attitude of your heart towards Him. Now notice in verse 9, there's these two things that you must believe. You must believe that Jesus is Lord. Now this word Lord here in the Greek refers to When they said Jesus is Lord, he is kurios, that's the same thing that they would say about Augustus Caesar or Nero or any of the Caesars. They would say Caesar is Lord, which gets Christians in trouble later on in their relationship with the Roman Empire because they were saying Jesus is Lord over Caesar. Jesus is Lord. He is master. He is ruler. He is governor. And then you must believe that Jesus rose from the dead. When you start telling people you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, don't be surprised if you get laughed at and mocked for that. Because people think that's nuts. I want you to think about this. Think about what you believe as a Christian. You believe that God is triune, both Father, Son, and Spirit. And these three existed in eternity in one divine essence. Three separate persons sharing one divine essence. And you believe that one of the persons of that Godhead was sent into the world, into the womb of a girl who was a virgin. And that in some way, that holy seed became entwined with a human seed and made a baby. And that baby lived in the womb for conception through birth and was born. And that now you have, in the physical Christ, you have the God-man. You have a man who is very God and very man. 100% God and 100% man in flesh. And he lived on the earth. And that at 12 years of age, he was as smart as anybody in the world because he's God. And then that 12-year-old kid goes down to the temple where the, the learned people are, where the educators are, and, he's, and they know he's smart as us. And they can't believe it. And then 18 years later, he comes down to a river to be baptized by a wild man named John the Baptist. And when he's being baptized, you believe as a Christian that when Jesus emerged from those waters, because Jesus was baptized by immersion, buried, when he raised out of those waters, that the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and hundreds of people heard a voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And from that day forward, for three years, he preaches 
and teaches and does so many miracles that the world cannot contain it. You believe that Jesus rubbed mud in a guy's eye and his vision was restored. That's counterintuitive. We debreed the eye. We don't pollute the eye. This man, he said to a man who had been crippled his whole life, rise, take up your bed and walk, and they did it. He healed leprosy with a word. Just spoke a word and lepers were healed. He raised the dead from a distance. Jairus' daughter, she was dead, and Jesus raised her from the dead. He came to Lazarus' tomb, and after being dead for four days... Four days, he came to the grave and said, roll that stone away. And they said, we can't. He stinks. And Jesus says, roll it away. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a man who'd been dead four days, they knew he was beginning to rot and decay. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? Lazarus came forth. Then you believe that this man, Jesus, went to a cross and was killed, wrapped in bed in, in grave clothes, and then was buried for three days. And on the third day, you believe that this man rose from the dead without anybody calling him from the dead, just God raising him. And that while he was dead, that his soul left our world and went into the subterranean realms and preached deliverance to the captives. And then that same soul was reunited with his body and came out of the grave. And then, after being with the disciples for 40 days, you believe that Jesus ascended back to heaven in front of everybody. Levitated out of sight into heaven. That's what you believe as a Christian. That's right, that's our Jesus. That's what we believe. Now, I think that sounds a little fantastic, don't you? I think that sounds a little unbelievable, don't you? And then we believe that this very same Jesus is going to return without a spaceship... from beyond space into our atmosphere and return. He's going to raise the dead. He's going to raise the dead who've been dead four days, four centuries, four millennium. This is our Savior. And to the world we live in, they think that's nuts. But do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? This is an essential requirement. So when you tell your friends, you tell your loved ones, you tell your learned aunts and uncles or children, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and they laugh at you. Will you keep on believing it? Will you be laughed out of your profession of faith? When you believe these things, the scripture says, when you believe these things, you become justified. You who are a filthy, rotten sinner, you become justified before God. God the Father declares you innocent and says, you are free from all punishment. Justified and you're saved. Do you really believe that? Is that an everyday, all day thing? Or is that just your Sunday mood? 
I believe that on Sundays. Or is that your everyday thing? Verse number 11. This is, a quote, this is quoted in chapter 9, verse 33. The Apostle Peter quotes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 6. It's actually a quotation of Isaiah chapter 28, verse number 16, where it says this, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. Now we know that Paul and Peter must have been relying upon not the Hebrew Old Testament, but the Greek Old Testament, because they both use this phrase, not ashamed. But if you turn to Isaiah 28, 16, if you want to do it right now with your Bible, you could, you would find that it doesn't say, not be ashamed. It says, shall not be in haste. Which tells us that they weren't using the Hebrew, they were using the Greek Old Testament. So isn't that different? Haste and ashamed, haste and ashamed. John Gill says that this Hebrew word could have three meanings that's translated haste in Isaiah 28, 16. He says it could mean that they will not be in haste to change gods. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you don't want to change gods. Because you know you got the real deal. You know you have the real McCoy. You know you have the true God. You're not going to be bouncing around from one to the other. Because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you'll find that he is an all-sufficient Savior. You'll find that he alone can satisfy the hunger of your heart. That he alone can speak peace into your stormy world. Jesus. He also says that it could also talk about people who are Searching. Once you find the Savior, you're not looking for anything else. Remember there in John chapter 6 where Jesus says to the disciples, if you want to be saved, if you want to have eternal life, you've got to eat my body and drink my blood. And the people are like, that's crazy. And a lot of people depart. Disciples say, after Jesus says that, A lot of people leave him. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, Will you also go away? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We're not going to leave you. We're not not looking for anybody else. You are the one. Gil says finally, which is kind of the, the sense that we have there in the New Testament as well. That those who put their faith in Christ, they won't be ashamed because they believe the wrong thing. Have you ever been ashamed you believe the wrong thing? You ever had a friend tell you that there's a, there's a sale going on at some store? And you go down there to the store, and you're looking for, the, you're looking for this, this item that's on sale. And then you go ask a clerk, and you say, hey. My, my friend told me there's, you guys are selling these things two for one down here. And they say, no, that's, that's next door. <laughs> well, that's a different place. And you got your wires crossed. You won't be ashamed that you put your faith in the wrong one. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you die, you won't be ashamed. 
Because if Luke 16, when it talks about the rich man and Lazarus, if Luke 16 can be taken to be a literal description of death and the things that happen after death, Luke 16 says that when Lazarus died, when he breathed his last breath and his soul left his body, it says that he was ushered by angels into the presence of God. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you breathe your last breath in a hospital bed, in a car, or wherever, when you breathe your last breath, you're gonna, your soul's going to move from here into the care of angels. God cares so much about your soul. Not only did he send Jesus Christ to redeem and save your soul, but God has a, God has a, a detachment of angels who are dedicated to guiding you into his presence. You won't be ashamed. You won't be ashamed when Jesus comes And my friends, Jesus is coming. He's going to return to this world. My dad would say it like this. He's going to step out on a cloud and call us up to him. And when that trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall rise with them. And we shall ever be with the Lord. When that trumpet sounds, my friends, what rapture. What joy. What absence of shame. And then at that final judgment, when all the nations are gathered before Christ on the judgment throne, when all of humanity is assembled in one giant assembly, you'll see those who have put their faith in Christ Ushered into eternal rest, into the heavenly city. And you'll see those who rejected Christ, those who had no time for the gospel, those disbelievers, you'll see them move to the side where they are cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And in that day, you won't be ashamed. They put your faith, that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. For Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Will not be put to shame. And this message, this message is not just for the Jews. It's not just for people of the first, second, and third centuries. It's not just for people in the United States of America. It is for Everybody, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. If you will call upon him, he will save you. Now, Satan will come and whisper in your ear and say, No, he won't. No, he won't. No, he won't. And you know that, Satan. Because God says everyone who calls will be saved. Everyone who calls will be saved. If you'll call upon him right now where you are, he'll save you. He'll give you his Holy Spirit. He'll seal you for all eternity as his child. He'll put his mark upon you. 
everyone who calls. There's no distinction. This is not just for Jews or Greeks. It's not just for whites or blacks. It's not just for the old or young, for the educated, the uneducated, for the reading and non-reading. All that matters is if you call upon Him. How's this message going to get around? How's this message going to get around? Look at verses 14 and 15. I got two pages of notes here, but I'm not going to preach them because I'm going to save them for next week. This message gets around through preaching. Through preaching. The Greek word here is caruso. It's to herald. But it's not just to herald, it's to be the messenger of a king. I'm going to put my glasses on now so I can see. Far as I know, in this room right now, there's only one person that is here speaking as a herald of a king. As far as I know, there's only one person in this room who can say, without a doubt, he's been called by God to speak this word to you, as far as I know. And that's me. And I'm not a herald of the gospel because I wanted to be. Because if I could be anything else, I would be. But God in his strange providence saved me when I was 15 years old and called me to be a preacher of the gospel. And and I'm not not saying this, it's, it's about me. This is how much God cares for sinners. That he would, from the mass of humanity, choose men to give their lives to preaching the gospel to people. This is what God has called me to. It's my calling. I'm here to tell you, the king has sent me to tell you that if you want to be added to his kingdom, Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Him and you will be saved. Don't believe in Him and you will not be saved. Put your faith in Christ while you can. You may say, well, I don't really care for you, Terry. I don't like the way you talk or the, you know, your volume, etc. You know what? The king doesn't care how you feel about me. <laughs> He doesn't give two flips how you care about me. All he wants you to do is to believe his message. His message. And his message is this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if you don't call, you ain't getting saved. You've got to call. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the most, Paul the Apostle said, I've desired to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said that you did not send Him to baptize, 
but to preach the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that every person in this room will leave this house of worship believing in Christ. And if they leave here not believing, I pray, Lord, that you would let this message bother them and keep them up at night. Mess up their job and their schooling until they call upon you and know the sweet, sweet joy of redemption. I pray these things in your glorious and holy name. Amen.